Hello, welcome. I am Phil Svitek, and as you know, or hopefully know, occasionally I like to bring on uh, my friends. Now, that is, of course, not the reason why they join me. They usually have a huge resume of various stuff, and today I am joined by my friend Candace Cruz. And just to keep it very simple, she's done pageants, she's an actress, uh, she's a host, and in all of these, like if we really broke it down, it could be a show in and of itself. Um, and so hopefully we'll kind of at least explore all three in that area, as well as kind of what's going on in her life. And um, for those of you, if you're just joining me for the very first time, you know that I am very much a believer in also applying the right mental attitude towards anything in order to achieve success. So we'll, of course, talk about the practical side, but also the mental side. And I don't know, I guess uh, maybe I didn't want to start off in that sense too soon, but it's 2020. So I guess it's like the, the, the question of like, how are you doing in 2020? How are you doing right now? Ooh, that's a loaded question there, Phil. <laughs> I know, right? It doesn't, it's right? like a role. It's like, it could change the next flows. hour. Yeah. You know what? It's so crazy because I will say at the beginning of quarantine, it was rough. Like I've been very consistent in saying that is that I, prior to quarantine, and I feel like a lot of us in this business are very defined by our accolades or our accomplishments or being busy. Um, and you even posted a quote the other day of like, busy is different than being um, productive. productive. Yeah. So I definitely was one of those people. And then when everything came to a screeching halt, I was like, what am I doing with my life? Where am I at? Like, I, I live 3000 miles away from my family. Like, wh what are the values? What is what I really want in life? So I did go through that, like, big pummel at the beginning. Um, and then, you know, it's been a very long journey of self-discovery. I've recently had some self-discovery as well um, within the last like week or two of, you know, where I'm at, things are starting to pick up again um, in, in some areas. So it's um, I'm good right now. Let's just a long answer to a short. <laughs> That's good. Well, I'm, I'm curious uh, in that sense, like what is, yeah. what is the biggest lesson you learned and then mm. also conversely, uh, so I don't forget, I'll just throw it at now. Um, yeah. what's, another, what's one of the things that you've leaned on heavily as well from the past that, that you knew? So, so two things there. The, the biggest thing for me learning lesson wise is I'm a, an extrovert to the extreme, if you couldn't tell already. So I, I rely heavily on the energies of other people being around people um, or constantly being busy again. So a lot of this journey has been self-discovery of like, I am okay by myself. Um, not in the full sense. Like I know that I'm surrounded by an amazing network of people and family and friends, but relying on myself, having that happiness fulfilled just by who I am as a person, not the accolades that I get to list on my resume. I'm very proud of those, but I think that this is the first time I've really slowed down in my adult life mm -hmm. and it's terrifying, but also like very liberating at the same time. So I think that's been the biggest lesson is just um, learning who I am without all of those things and just being happy with what that is. And then um, the second question was, remind me again. Uh, well, and this is kind of a leading question. So you can, yes, you can yeah. say like, it, uh, if you don't agree with it, but like, I often find, you know, like sometimes in, in rough times, we have to lean on things of the past. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like for some people it's journaling, for some people it's yoga, mm -hmm. maybe for you it's prayer, um, meditation, whatever it may be. And it's like what people sort of get away from that. And it's like, Ooh, things are rough. Let me, I got to like double down on what worked. Right. Revert back. Yeah. Um, definitely prayer. 
Um, and let me tell you, I'm not like the most eloquent prayer at all, but just prayer or just like those thoughts. Um, I've recently developed writing like in a journal. I was never a journal person in my life. And this is the first time where I'm actually journaling a lot and just kind of doing like a brain dump of sorts. Um, but my other thing is reading and singing. Those are my two like vices. Like I'll get in my car and just drive for like an hour and just like belt my heart out to like Broadway or to just like soulful music or whatever it may be, whatever I'm feeling that day. And then um, definitely finding a lot of fiction books. What's the the latest one? The latest one? Oh my gosh. It's on my bookshelf actually. And I will share it. It's next year in Havana. I'm obsessed. I love Reese Witherspoon's book club. I know that a lot of celebrities have them, but she actually has a lot of books that are along my lines of taste um, in fiction novels. And it's um, a dual like timeline. So it's based in Havana and it's based on a grandmother and a granddaughter storylines uh, in 1958 and 2017. So it's really, really good. Wow. That's really cool. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Um, now, I just want to press you on the issue. You said uh, you're not an eloquent prayer. What does that that term even, like, what is, what, what is an eloquent prayer? To me, so like I grew up in the church, right? And uh, I was in uh, Methodist and now I'm non-denominational and just very faith driven. Uh, I go to Mosaic in Hollywood, but for me, an eloquent prayer is those people that always would stand up in church and just riff off this prayer. And you're like, how in the world are you making this beautiful prayer out of nothing and somehow circling it back? Um, I've had my moments every once in a while that I'm like, oh, that was, that was pretty good. But I think more so, and I've learned to not judge myself on that because just because it's eloquent sometimes it is heartfelt and sometimes you just got to like talk like he's there or whatever you believe in the, the universe, divine timing, whatever it is that people rely on just talking to them like a friend or talking to them out loud or whatever it may be. Um, so that's what I meant by eloquent prayer. <laughs> I'm not necessarily like the person that can weave together this gorgeous mind boggling prayer that you're like, yes, I can conquer the world. Yeah, no, it, it's interesting to me. And like, not that uh, one of the things I heard, I, I believe it was Jay Shetty. And mm-hmm. um, I think this is very applicable, because I think it ties to what you were saying. Um, and I think I think a lot of people uh, sort of apply this applies to where, whether or not it's prayer or something like that, they make demands mm-hmm. of the world, right? Mm-hmm. And it could be mm-hmm. in the in the secular as well, where they like, oh, I need this, I need this. Um, as opposed to Jay Shetty says, like any sort of meditation prayer practice Mm -hmm. really be more of an exploration right um and so it's like you know uh like i have a friend um i won't say his name but it's a mutual friend of ours and he's constantly he's like he's this typical person that's in his mid-20s and he's always like what's my calling you know and Mm -hmm. but again he states it more of a like i need to find my purpose i need right it's always that the, the need word as opposed to just kind of letting it explore. And mm-hmm. it's interesting to me, it's almost like now, um, w- you know, whether you realize that we're all being forced into that kind of exploration, that mm-hmm. curiosity. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know, I, there's not really a question there, but I, I kind of wanted to put that out there. And I don't know. Yeah, no, I, I definitely think that that's the point um, of right now. I know that at the beginning of all this, everyone was like, 
we have to write a novel, we have to achieve all this other stuff. And, you know, we set these really high expectations. And I'm sure there are people that have still accomplished that and kudos to them. I'm very happy for them. But um, it didn't necessarily go that way for me. And the self-exploration of like, I did realize that this is exactly what I want to do. And I'm sure a lot of people realize they're like, "Mm, maybe this isn't for me. Um, So thankfully I was um, solidified in that. But I I just woke up the other day out of nowhere and just like had this immense sense of gratitude. Like we're alive. Number one, first and foremost, we have our health. Like those two things alone are a huge thing to be grateful for just today in 2020 and to have a roof over our heads and, and to be taken care of. Um, so I'm kind of at that place. And then when I woke up that day, it was honestly such a beautiful day because you're seeing it through a lens of like, I'm grateful for everything, whatever that challenge is, whatever that, that turmoil or turmoil you're having. If you look at it through a lens of gratitude, it's going to be so much better. Like we only get this one shot. So I'm kind of in that modality right now. I'm hoping it stays that way for a while. Um, but then we can always see the good in, in what's happening in the lesson that's there as well. Yeah. And uh, so when you say kind of like now you're grateful for what you like uh, and it's kind of reaffirmed, like what, mm-hmm. what is, what is like, how would you define your purpose, your calling, or just like the thing that you want to do artistically? Oh, that's a big question for me. Cause <laughs> a lot of people are like, Oh, I just want to be an actor. Or I want to be a host or whatever. For me, it's like, I want it all. Like I've been just exploring a lot of it in the creative element. And I just want to be a storyteller overall. Like that, that being in front of the camera, that being behind the camera, I'm doing a lot of research and like wanting to start venturing into writing and creating a film. And um, I'd love to write a book one day and uh, to be able to be a producer and, and take books like this and like make them into films and then be a host and, and tell other people's stories. And so I've really developed that, like, I just want to be creative in all elements. And thankfully, when I first moved to LA, that was not a thing. They were like, you cannot be hyphenate, pick one line and stick to it. And thankfully in 2020, they're like, you can be all of them. Just make sure that you're good at all of them and that you study at them um, and work really hard and figure out how they kind of intersect and, and combine and intertwine. So, yeah. Very cool. Yeah. I mean, I think, um, I'm, I'm not sure if you've ever heard of him, but like Simon Sinek, he's a business mm-hmm. author. Um, and what's kind of interesting to me, I, I got into, into him about like a year and a half ago-ish. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things that he talks about is we're always constantly asked, like, uh, what do you want, like in high school, what do you want to mm-hmm. be when you grow up? So it's, it's yeah. kind of like the what, as opposed to the why. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I, I almost look at you in that sense of like, okay, producer, um, actress, host, you know, writer, all these different things. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the what of it all. But the, you know, as, as you kind of honed in on it, like you want to be a, like in your basic core, you want to be a storyteller. Mm-hmm. And so to you, it doesn't matter what it ultimately is, as long right. as it expresses something mm-hmm. um, that's true to you and, and can benefit the world. Exactly. Um, um, so I think that's cool. Um, Thanks. So it's, it's, it's in an interesting way. Okay, so here you are. So it, it, it's almost like, let's go back in time. Yeah, right? all right. To, to a young Candace. Oh, gosh. Okay. <laughs> Oh, because I don't know, like, not that yeah. I wanted, not that I planned it that way, but it's just interesting, you know, now, like, because I'm, I'm always curious, like, how people get to the point of, mm-hmm. of like, quote, unquote, here, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and so, I don't know, like, let's, let's take uh, a 15-year-old Candace. <laughs> what was 15-year-old Candace's mentality, and what was she doing? 
Uh, 15 year old Candace. So what was that? That was 2005, 2006. I'm just trying to like put myself back there. Uh, honestly, it's always wanted. I've always wanted to be a performer. I've always wanted to tell stories in some way, shape or form or fashion, but I was a nerd to the extreme in school. And I say that with the highest regard for being a nerd, because when I was younger, I was like, Oh, I just want to be like the cool kid. But uh, I did academic team. My my big passion was working in Model UN and doing um, mock government that we had, which is called KYA and CUNA, Kentucky Nine Nations Assembly and Kentucky Youth Assembly. Um, and so, oh, we've got a puppy. Sorry. That's, uh, that's Chloe cheering you on. <laughs> yes, Chloe. Like very exciting stuff on the bird too. <laughs> and so I did that. Um, and I ended up applying and going to... A year later, I ended up going to a summer school at Yale and I was going to go on the path of like psychology, law, um, just because my parents kept telling me like I needed to have something secure. And I think that just the world in general was telling me I need something secure because acting is not guaranteed or whatever. So that's where 15 year old going into 16 year old Candace was of just being the overachiever that I always have been um, and just having a passion for, for stories and um just advocacy for humans in general. That's also something else that I'm extremely passionate about that I want to do um, in the long run is like actually go and get my hands dirty and serve and, and do that for others. So I think that that's where that all came from. So that was 15 year old Candace. Very nice. And uh, obviously like we'll, we'll kind of continue the journey, but as yeah. a quick side, I, I'm very curious to know your thoughts on this yeah. um, because I didn't know that you know, you and I have been friends, but I didn't know that mm-hmm. side of your history. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I look at, let's say, I, I believe it's Lapita Nyanga who also went to mm-hmm. Yale, right? Yes. Yeah. Um, and so, because I, 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 I kind of look at it, I, I feel like a lot of people, you know, the public, let's say, don't necessarily know the education mm-hmm. of a lot of celebrities. And I'm not saying all celebrities are smart, and I'm not saying all celebrities are smart. I think it's like mm-hmm. all human beings, you know, there's mm-hmm. various levels. But I'm, I'm curious from your perspective, like, how you react when the general public does go, oh, shut up, you're, you're a celebrity. You don't, you, you know, we don't want to hear your opinion. It's frustrating. I do want to clarify. I went to Yale for summer school and high school, and then I went to University of Kentucky. That's my alma mater. But I, to go off of your question, it's super frustrating to me because, yes, there are, there's that stereotypical celebrity, but I think that the times are changing and I'm very proud of a lot of, specifically the women as well, like Lupita Nyong'o, um, Eva Longoria. There's a lot of um, advocates that are out there that are actually using their voice to to elicit change. And I just hate that people are automatically giving them the performer title of like, just be pretty. Like, yeah. that's my biggest thing that I can't stand. And I think a lot of it I've dealt with even with pageantry listen, majority of the women that are in pageants are extremely intelligent, like Ivy leagues, graduates, like we've got some of the highest level of intelligence within, within pageantry as well. And it it kind of, and it goes into entertainment where people automatically think that when you see pretty or overdone or glamorized, that that's all that it is like, just shut up and be, be pretty. And I, hope that the times are changing and I I even get very I'm not a frustrated person a lot of times I don't lean towards the anger but I have been known to if someone won't hear me because they automatically have their ideology of what I am I get very 
I don't want to say aggressive, but very forceful. I've already got a deep voice, so I'll get very forceful of like, no, listen to me. Like, I actually know what I'm talking about. And I hope that the women that are already doing it in this industry are just setting the way for that to no longer be an issue. Like, just because you want to perform doesn't mean you can't be intelligent. You can't get your MBA. You can't be a doctor. I mean, Lisa Kudrow was a doctor. So it's like, you look at friends and then you realize that she's a doctorate. So, you know, I, I just hate that that's where our society is, to be honest with you. Yeah. It's, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's just, it, it's definitely interesting to me and I don't, I don't yeah. know how to kind of kind of fix it in that sense. Yeah. Um, also, but- someone else that's doing it is Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. She, um, I just watched one of her videos recently. I think it was with Vogue. And it was the, the stereotypical, like, get ready with me. Like, what's your beauty regimen and all this stuff. And she used it as an opportunity of being like, I don't have to just be smart. Like, I can be pretty. I can put on makeup. I can present myself because we need to use it as a tool rather than it as a hindrance. So I love that she's changing the narrative of, like, our presentation is the first thing you see, but then you will take me seriously for not only my looks, but for my brains as well. So I, I really appreciate the way, and she said it way more eloquently than I did, but I, um, I love that she's also one of those that, I mean, she's in, she's representative. Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, and that, that, that's an interesting point. You know, I mean, I, I'm lucky enough to kind of have at least a little bit of it inside view into pageantry. Like um, mm-hmm. one of my other friends is Alex Worley. I'm not sure if you know her. Um, I know the name. I don't know if I know her personally, though. But, um, but regardless, like, um, you know, she was one of the first people that really kind of taught me, like, the amount of work that goes into, pa- like, it's not just you walking out on a stage. It's there's mm-hmm. a lot of stuff behind the scenes mm-hmm. uh, that goes into it. And so can you just take that opportunity to really hopefully dispel some of the mess about pageantry? Yeah. I mean, honestly, pageantry has gotten me where I am today. I really do believe that because I mean, I was an outgoing person before, but it really did give me a drive. It gave me um, a place to share a lot of different talents to network with people, but there is a lot that goes into it. I mean, I had at least seven, I want to say seven people on my team going into Miss Kentucky. And I mean, it's like a, it's a pit crew of sorts where you have your pageant coach that's teaching you how to interview someone that's walking. You have your makeup team, you have your hair team, um, you have your trainer. I mean, the amount of time that we spend in the gym and our physical fitness and um, trying to have a healthy diet that's tailored to each of us. uh, It's a lot that goes into it. I mean, months and months and months of prep and sometimes even years for a lot of people. Like I competed for 10 years is how long I was in it, but you have to be completely educated as well. You have to be educated in a plethora of topics because you never know what you're going to get. It's like when you go to a red carpet or you go to an interview, you don't know what that person's going to ask you. So you have to be ready for anything. And you also have to be able to direct the conversation. And I think it's extremely helpful for, like I said, a lot of women are um, come out of it and go into being a doctor or a lawyer because it does hone your interview skills. It does hone your conversation skills. I mean, when you're competing in Miss America, you have a 10 minute interview. You don't know what they're going to ask you in that 10 minutes. It could be all politics. It could be all what's based on your bio. It could be like 
what's your favorite color? I've gotten asked that before. And you have to figure out how to be like, well, my favorite color is yellow, but let me talk about my platform and figure out how to use that question and get to where you actually want to be. So I definitely think that it's, it's a wonderful training ground for a lot of young women. And I know that the times are evolving and, and pageantries are slowly, I don't want to say dwindling out. I think that they still have a purpose but they're not what they used to be just because, you know, there's Instagram now, there's all these different social medias to where a lot of women can do all that they do in pageants through that. But I do think that it is an amazing thing for a lot of young women to do, especially if they're self-conscious or they have, they want to better their personable skills or just to feel more confident about themselves. Like it takes a lot of courage to walk out on a stage in a bathing suit and an evening gown. (laughs) It does. It does. Um, And I'm also curious, like, Am I, am I incorrect in the sense that there is also a huge fundraising aspect to it where you do have to approach people and raise money? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, especially, it depends on the pageant. Like some pageants are le- uh, less expensive than others. But listen, we were doing sponsorships before influencers were. Like we were contacting your local car dealership and saying, listen, I will do an appearance. I will do service for you. Like we would offer whatever we could going to events or, um, you know, different organizations and whatnot. So, I mean, there was a lot of going out into the community and serving and a lot of philanthropy that was involved with it as well. And Miss America is a scholarship organization. Miss USA is more of what people automatically think of when they think of pageantries It is more glamorous, um, but they do their, their same amount of uh, philanthropy as well. So there's um, a lot of prep in that regards too. Yeah, and I mean, yep. like, I, I think that's one of the biggest aspects for me that's overlooked that, I mean, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, certainly if you're going into the public arena, um, yep. like an AOC, um, that, that would be a, a great thing. But even if not, mm-hmm. like, you know, as you talk about the, the, the desire for philanthropy down the future, or even if mm-hmm. you just wanted like to run your own business, like yeah. that skill set at that age to me is invaluable. It's so true, especially if you're wanting to be an entrepreneur and you're wanting to go into fundraising and you're going to want to go into like series A or whatever that may be, you already knowing how to go in and negotiate and network and build your net worth is, is astronomical. You know, that's something that is very valuable. Absolutely. And, um, I want to, you know, I I think a huge myth um, is the idea of like, it's, it's, it's all women just out to get each other which I find to be quite the opposite. Mm-hmm. Um, can, you, can you help dispel that myth from your experience? I mean, one of my best friends, a lot of my best friends have all come through pageantry. Like the first person I knew in LA was a girl that crowned me Miss Teen United States and we're still friends to this day. So 10 years later, um, one of my other best friends had another national title at the same time I did. And we stayed connected for like six or seven years online. And then when we met in person, became best friends. And, you know, I have, I believe 10 girls that I'm close with that are going to compete for Miss USA. And then I've met multiple other women, like either through mosaic um, and pageants and whatnot. Like I have a huge network of just women that have been in pageantry because we've had similar experiences and there's just something there that we just like relate to and personality types that are driven to there. Um, So I've never 
there's, listen, in any regards, there's always going to be some type of like friction. You can't put 20 people, whether they're female or male in one room and expect all of them to get along. Um, so there's obviously still that. And I, I guess that's where people come up with caddy, but I've never seen anyone try to demolish anyone else to ever go out for anyone to ever do anything to harm anyone. It was at the end of the day, it is competition, but it's competition within yourself. Yeah. And I'm, I'm curious, where does it come from? Not like, you know, if I had to like put it metaphorically, like right. literally does someone like sit you down and say like, Hey, we're going to like network or um, is it just like kumbaya happenstance? And obviously those are two <laughs> like completely like made up scenarios, but like right. in theory, which, which one is it? closer to or is there a third option i think it's closer to the kumbaya to be honest with you like we're all in it together we're all there to support one another like i i will never forget the moment when i got called out for top six for miss teen united states when i came back i had my shoes out for me they were already unbuckled my dress was unzipped the girls were literally waiting for me to like get me dressed and fix me and that was like 10 girls so it was like just because they weren't there and it wasn't their night. They know that it easily could have been their night and they wanted that as well. And so I think that we, as long as we keep that in perspective, like we're all there to, to lift each other up. So I definitely feel like it's more kumbaya than the other. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess as I'm thinking about it, something to like, and I guess forgive the crassness of like the, the, the question, but like, how do you stay humble? Right. Cause like, you know, when, when, um, cause I, I think a lot of people, you know, certainly in the public idea, and mm-hmm. maybe this was like early two thousands when tabloid magazines really started hitting and everything was mm-hmm. going online. It was like, Oh, that, that person, that celebrity is all of a sudden become so arrogant that like, they've just lost sense of reality. Uh, you certainly to me, as long as I've known, you have not lost your sense of reality. Well, thank you. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I try to always, give people the benefit of the doubt. I mean, there's still going to be those people that, that do get a big head, but we also have to remember that even in that time, and even sometimes now we have to give grace to a lot of people that they're in a situation that we've never been in, especially in a huge arena of being in public eye. Sometimes they just want to be anonymous and just live their life. So I try to try to give them grace in that regards. And obviously that's case by case basis. But for me, Listen, I've had enough knockdowns in my life, and I think you have to have a couple of those in order to remind yourself that you are human, that sometimes it's just not going to be your day, and you have to cheer other people on. And I think I've also been in enough scenarios that I've accomplished something, and sometimes there aren't people around you cheering you on for whatever reason, and I don't ever want to be at that position. I always want to be able to like come up to whatever top that I'm going to with people because it, it's lonely up there if you don't bring people along. And I think that as long as I remind myself that we're all in this together, I know that that's like the, the theme of 2020, but I, I do think that that's the truth is that um, as long as I remember to keep my empathy, mm-hmm. I think that that's when humility falls into place. Yeah, and I think uh, I, I think you're correct. I mean, um, an eye-opening thing for me, um, I, I had the privilege of interviewing Tara Reid, and certainly, like, just by saying the name, I'm, I'm sure there's a lot of people that, like, if they heard this, they're like, "Oh, Tara Reid." They already have their predisposition, their ideas mm-hmm. to her. But she was saying, like, she literally grew up at a time when, like, you know, she was in in her early 20s, 
And like those celebrity magazines didn't exist. And all of a sudden she's like, you know, this 21, 22 year old girl that just wanted to have fun. No different than like most of us at that age. Exactly. Except she's being photographed everywhere she goes and mm-hmm. being crucified for it. And so like that, that just brought a different perspective of like, okay, that's, yeah, I, I can see that being a certainly different thing. Yeah. Um, you know, to that effect, um, I'm, I just for my own curiosity, we don't have to spend that much time on it. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but Kanye, right. Because that's mm-hmm. someone, you know, he's going through a lot to say the least, mm-hmm. but, um, at, w- is there a line to be drawn of like, okay, you, you have that empathy for him. You want him to, to get better. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, like in, in some sense for me, there's also a part that I'm grappling with. Like a lot of what he is doing is scary and could potentially affect the outcome of an election. If you really mm-hmm. you know, want to put it in those terms. So yeah. like, I'm just, I'm just curious if you have any perspective on that. As an I mean, that's, reporter. that's a hard one to be honest with you, because I mean, it is like, at, at the core, we have to remind ourselves that he's human, that he is having, you know, there is mental illness that we need to bring light to. And I think there's definitely a different way of handling the conversation of like, how can we help him rather than, you know, crucifying him for what he's saying. Um, and I think it also comes down to, he needs some better people in his life helping him with guidance. And I think that that's a whole other conversation of when you come to celebrity and power of who you surround yourself with. I think you really have to decide who's going to keep you grounded going back to what we talked about previously and who's going to keep you in check um, and who's going to keep you humble, whether or not it's a popular opinion, because it sounds like, and I mean, I don't know the man and this is just my own opinion, but when you're surrounded by a lot of yes men, that's when we get into this territory. And it can also be, you know, it can be a great thing as a hype thing for people that are in other positions, but for him specifically, I really do feel like he needs some people that are like, hold on a second. Like, let's, let's check you, let's do something. Um, and, and really, you know, lay out the, the consequences of all of it. So yeah. yeah, that's literally all I can say on that one. Cause I don't know enough of it, but it is terrifying to yeah. think that even if he gets a couple thousand, couple hundred thousand votes or anyone that's voting him in and thinks it's a joke, it can literally alter the way that our country is going to be run within the next four years. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, truly. Um, so uh, I, guess, I guess kind of to that end, bring it back more to you. Um, mm-hmm. Who keeps you grounded? Is it, is it your friends, um, your family or a combination of therein? I think it's both. Um, I definitely like, I'm from Kentucky. I'm from a small town. So, uh, it is humbling just in the regards of like my friends back home are super, super supportive, but they're, they're living their lives like a normal life outside of the LA like bubble. And so I don't want to always monopolize the conversation. And then I'm brought back to like, you know, 16 year old Candace and same with my parents of like, always keeping me in check, but still, you know, being supportive. And I definitely have an incredible network of friends and they've become my family out here as well, that they'll tell you, they'll tell you the truth. And I'm glad that I have the group that's like, well, maybe not this, let's do that. Um, And it's always constructive, but it is um, definitely a group effort. uh, I'm curious how how you react to something that like completely you're like, um, because I'll, I'll give my experience. You don't have to necessarily get into specifics, but I'm interested in like the process of it. 
because I have one friend who I constantly bounce ideas off of. Mm-hmm. And there's been times I'm like, okay, I'm going to call him. And this is the first idea he's going to like agree with. He's going to be like, this is a great idea. And then he just, he's like, he just says something that like, he has such a unique way of looking at things mm-hmm. that I just get so angry. I'm like, but how could you? That, you, you, what, are you? You are failing to see what I see. And so it takes me a little bit, you uh-huh. know, ultimately like maybe we come towards the middle or I completely agree with him. But like, I don't know. I just sometimes as part of the process, I just have this natural reaction of like, you're just wrong. I know. And it, it's frustrating because you want, it's like going back to the yes men, right? Like if you really wanted a yes, you'd go to certain friends that you knew were going to give you like the good job, regardless of what it is. But if you're going to that person that you know is going to be honest with you, I think subconsciously we're automatically like, we want not necessarily their approval, but we want them to support us or even push us to the next level of like, oh, I didn't think about that. Because if you see it as like, not a, a negative, but see it as an opportunity to create or like divert or see something that you wouldn't have seen before, or even learn how to explain your topic better. Because sometimes I'm not the best at explaining what I want to do. And then they're like, well, why didn't you say it like this? It just opens a whole new level. Um, so, I mean, I think we know our friends well enough of like, which friend am I going to call? Do I want, do I want them to just say yes? Or do I want them to like push me a little bit further? <laughs> yeah. Let yeah. Me, uh, you know what's interesting, and I, I heard a perspective, and, and let me know if you, this is a good way to look at it or not, but um, where if you're in the middle of a process, let's say, mm-hmm. like, you know, let's just take a movie, right? You're still, yeah. you know, in the final stages of a movie. Um, perhaps you can do some reshoots. Perhaps you can do some re-editing, change mm-hmm. graphics, change music, whatever the case may yeah. be. Then it's like perhaps that, that constructive criticism is warranted. Mm-hmm. But let's say you're at, you know, not quite literally, but the movie's out. Um, let's just go with like you're at the premiere and your friend turns to you and like, ah, oh, you know, here's what you could have done better. Like, do you do you accept it then? Because at that point, it's like it's the, the, the idea was that it's too late. Mm-hmm. And at that point, mm-hmm. you know, I'm just looking for a nice job because it's done and there's nothing right. you can do about it versus in that moment. Like if there is something to change, then, yes, I want to hear it. But if it's done just shut your mouth and just say great job. For sure. Listen, you had the opportunity. If you've been in my life for X amount of time, like this is not the time to be the Debbie Downer. And I think in that case, it, there are people out there that are just inherently negative people. They don't mean to be, but they are. And I try not to have too many of those in my corner in that regards. Cause I mean, listen, there's constructive help. And then there's just like, eh, it just wasn't my taste. If it wasn't your taste, just, just, that's all you need to do or find something about it that you did like, and that's all you, you need to contribute. Right. I, I don't, I don't like the negative energy from people when they're just like, eh, I just don't like it just cause I don't like it. Yeah. <laughs> well, the, the, the fun, I mean, the thing I'm, I struggle with sometimes, like I, I have very close friends that are overall very positive. Right. But they'll always still be on the constructive side. I'm like, buddy, hey, I like I am done. This movie's it's done. done. Yeah. Like, there's, exactly. no, there's you know, there's nothing. I'm not going back to it. It's it's right. released, it's it's sold, it's it's we're good. You if know? there's a sequel, then sure add in your two cents. But if there's no sequel, yeah. Lit yeah. on it. <laughs> exactly. Um all right, so let's let's transition into um I guess acting slash hosting. Yeah. Um and forgive me because I don't, I don't know. Like you've been an actress longer than you've been a host, correct? 
Correct. Since I was very young, it's been something that I've always wanted to do. And I came out to LA when I was 13 for an acting competition and went to New York when I was 15. Oh my gosh, 15, 15 year old Candace forgot I did that too. Um, Went to New York and did um, an acting competition out there. And um, then when I moved out to LA, I did take a little bit of a break when I first came out here, just because I was working in the music industry um, on the back end. And I wanted more than anything to be taken seriously. And it goes back to our previous conversation again um, of just being taken seriously within that industry. So I didn't want them to think that I was using them for anything. I didn't want to use that as leverage. And I still to this day have not used it for leverage in any regards. Um, So I did take a little bit of a break. And then um, I started studying at an acting studio out here and I've been there for six years up until quarantine happened and still in contact with all of my classmates, but, um, I've studied at Anthony Mindel's actor workshop for six years and that's cold read and scene study. And then I've done a couple of independent films and just been auditioning a lot. So, you know, it is one of those things that it's a hit or miss and I'm, I'm still waiting for that big thing, whatever that may be, um, God willing. But uh, yes, I have been an actress for as long as I can remember. And what, what draws yeah. you to it? And I don't, I don't mean this in a negative way, but in, mm-hmm. a, in a sense, um, you know, one of the things is you're, you're like interpreting someone else's stuff, unless you like mm-hmm. wrote it literally yourself, right. but oftentimes you're given these lines, given this action. And sure, you get to add your own spin to it, get to create the mm-hmm. backstory ultimately, but mm-hmm. still it's like, you're, it's your interpretation of something rather than pure creation. Mm-hmm. So I, um, from an artistic standpoint, I'm kind of very fascinated by that. Um, yeah. So I just wanted to, you know, kind of hear from you. I mean, it is, of course, there, there is an element to that where, but it is a collaborative effort. Like it just, the best way to put it is, if you remember like summer camp, right? You go to summer camp, you get really close with this group of people and you're just doing all these different activities. You're having a great time. Like you're living your best life. Like it somehow, anytime I've been in a play or done like with my acting studio or whatever, it's a a collective effort as much as it is a solo experience, right? Like you're collaborating with the director, you're collaborating with the writer, um, you're interpreting, interpreting things, um, it's your interpretation of things. So it's definitely, um, I don't know. There's something about that, that I love the energy of just like, it's palpable whenever you're in these scenarios, whether you're performing on stage or whether you're performing in front of a camera and then just the empathy part. I, I think I'm innately just a very overly empathetic person sometimes, sometimes Mm -hmm. to a fault. Um, but I think that that gives you a better sense of the human experience and allows you to be a more grounded human in some elements with it. And, um, and you get to play pretend. I mean, you get to be a kid all the time. Like what's not fun about that. It's, we used to play pretend when we were kids and now you get to do it as an adult, like doing something in front of a green screen. There's nothing there. All of that's imagination. You get to emote. And I think the product as well, I mean, what are we all relying on right now when we're at home is we're relying on the arts. We're relying on books or Netflix and watching these creations and, and we're feeling relations with these people and these characters or finding ourselves in those characters. And I think it gives opportunity um, to shed light on your own experience, but also give opportunities for other people to like have that catharsis. Um, So that's where 
I've just fallen in love with it since I was a kid. Yeah. And uh, I'm curious, what, what's been like the most difficult um, portrayal you've had to do in the sense of like, just the least like you? Ooh. Um, one of the web series that I've done was, um, and it wasn't a large role. It was very small, but it was, um, she had some grit to her and some edge to her. If you see the photo, I've got like the nose piercing and the dark makeup and all of that good stuff. So definitely 100% different than I am. Um, but she had some type of darkness and I, I loved working with that director because even though I literally, I think had three lines, he came and sat with us and was just like, here's your entire backstory. Here's everything to influence just these few moments. Um, and I think being able to have those layers with so few words was I think one of the biggest challenges. Cause a lot of times when you have dialogue, it influences everything, right? When you don't, and they're just showing you, you have to figure out how to give everything without saying a word. I've been recently watching just to take a small little like divot. I've been watching the boys on Amazon prime mm -hmm. and one of the characters, I think her name is Kamiko, but she doesn't speak in the entire show and to see her emote and to fully understand that character without her saying anything, I just think is an incredible feat for an actor. Yeah, no, I agree. And, yeah. um, Selfishly, I'm curious, uh, you know, what, what as an actress do you look for in terms of when you do speak to a director mm -hmm. um, or perhaps a writer in some cases? Because, you know, in, in, in that sense, one of, the, one of the things that we used to do um, in film school, mm -hmm. we literally wrote out bullshit dialogue in the sense of like, hi, hi, hello, mm -hmm. how you doing? Good, you? And the idea was to set a scene where it wasn't really about the dialogue, it was about you know, what they were going through, you mm -hmm. know, and so sometimes it was like, okay, well, they just found out the, you know, the results of their pregnancy test, mm -hmm. um, or like someone is, you know, they're at, at the, the hospital and their grandparents just died. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, so you can still have the same quote unquote surface level dialogue, but what's underneath that is what has to be driven. You know, it has to come out of the actor and you as a director have to sculpt that performance. Yeah. Um, and I think too many like novice filmmakers make that mistake of like, it's all about the dialogue. Um, and so yeah. I'm curious, like, you know, how do you, you know, what, what sort of thing um, would help in terms of your performance from a director to know? Two of my favorite, the, the director I was speaking about previously in that um, web series that I worked on, because he knew exactly when I got up, I'm motivated a lot by music. So I had a playlist that was specific. I made for the character and I played music that I thought was specific to what she would listen to. And so I'm very motivated by that, but also he literally described the scenario to its fullest, like kind of like what you were saying of like giving something visceral. And I've had an acting teacher who's also a director and has directed me in a web series as well is he literally walks you through every single moment up until the moment that you're about to call action. Like mm -hmm. he will give you all of it as if you're that person. So like, he's not talking to you as like, Oh, Stacy did this, 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 and this. He's like, okay, you are Stacy. Here's everything that just happened to you. And like, we'll work up that the juice and the, the experience for you prior to even calling action. And then it influences everything else that's happening within that. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, um, I guess in hindsight, I, it, that is kind of how I do like to like, usually when, when I start the scene for me, 
I say, okay, you know, you're coming into the scene a little bit upset because of X, Y, and Mm -hmm. Z or whatever the case may be. Um, and then I kind of just let the actors go with it mm-hmm. and I might make adjustments of like, okay, you know, on, in the middle of the scene, when you say, okay, you said a little bit more subdued, it's actually supposed to be a little bit more angry because you're getting pissed off that he's pushing you. Right. Whatever the case, yeah, I'm just making stuff. And letting you know where the arc line is and letting you know where the drops are, because again, like you said earlier, it's an interpretation. So sometimes if, if you want something specific, like my manager has even walked me through certain things. She's like, well, I feel like at this point it would be read this way. And so you kind of have to figure out where that middle ground is because like me reading the script and through my experience, it's going to be different from the way that you would read the script. We're going to read them completely differently. So I think that's another skill set that a director has to have is being able to like guide. It's a game. You have to guide the game, guide the maze and make sure that they hit all the points that they're supposed to hit. Let me, um, um, I I don't know if you're familiar with this, but um, Marlon Brando in that very famous, like I could have been a contender scene. Um, he has a gun pointed at him by his own brother because his mm. brother is essentially trying to save his life. He's like, give me what I need. Otherwise, like, we'll have to kill you because right. um, he's, you know, the mobs over his neck as much as anybody else's. Mm-hmm. And uh, Brando just makes this choice. No one told him, but he like, he, he pushes the gun down mm-hmm. and turns away. And, and instead of going, you know, against his brother of like being combative, Mm-hmm. And telling him, like, I could have been a contender. He, 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 he self-reflects in a mm-hmm. moment of pain. And so I'm wondering where that fine line is of, like, okay, there's, there's, the, there's what's written and kind of how it maybe should go of, like, that's the natural instinct mm-hmm. versus subverting it of, like, you just have this sense and how you, you know, as an actress, how, and again, part of it's, like, the director has to be open to that. But mm-hmm. how do you kind of allow, because, I mean, it's just, it's one of the greatest scenes in history and he did it just completely subverting what the intention was. I think that right there is a master in and of itself because they've mastered their craft. They've mastered the instrument and the artistry of it, of realizing that not every person is going to react a certain way and knowing your character fully um, and making that choice because yes, instinctively we could be like, but if your character in general doesn't react that way or is at a moment of defeat, that doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to fight. So I think it comes down to obviously the director being willing to create and kind of being willing to play and see where other things can go. Um, But his instincts and just practice and, and listening, I think that's a huge thing of like the other guy. And I'm sorry, I should know this scene. But it well, also we'll do depends a scene on what, study one day. We'll do a scene study. Exactly. But um, I think it's also dependent on what the other person gives you. If the other person doesn't give you the need to like come at you, then it's like, well, where do you go from there? I'm not going to inflate where we're not at that level. Yeah. You know, I'm not going to yell at you because you're not yelling at me right now. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you have to work off of the other person and, and be aware of your surroundings. And remember that it's not just acting. It's also like living like we do all the time. Yeah. And do you do you have a preferred balance of uh, rehearsals to, sh- to filming? Because um, like for me, uh, I'm a very like guerrilla style filmmaker. And so yeah. like, one, you know, I, I try to rehearse enough where people feel comfortable because I know like for me, we're going to get one or two takes tops. Right. Um, and we're only shooting like a couple of angles t- to begin with. So it's, you know, we're in and out. Um, so it has to like work essentially. Otherwise we don't have it. 
Yeah. Um, but in that sense, like at the same time, I don't want it to, I don't want it to be ever boring. And maybe that's selfishly for me. Cause if I like literally just watch the same thing over and over, I get too bored, but yeah. it, you know, is, is there a line for you of like, I mean, you're eventually like it goes down even for me with self tapes. It's like, you can do them 50 times, but if you really watch them, like eventually there's only so many ways that you can do it. So you're going to get your best stuff at the beginning, hopefully right in an ideal world. Mine with the way that Anthony Meidel works is we're cold read and scene study. So cold read for anyone that's not an actor is you get the script, you literally have a few minutes with it and then you run with it. Um, and then we stay on one scene for a period of a month or two months, depending on the scene. So that's the scene study part. So we don't really ever have rehearsal and you just get to explore and see what happens. I personally, if I'm on something bigger, as long as you give me my blocking and we run through it at least like two or three times to know just blocking or even just two times, then let's just like run with it and see where we can go. I don't think you really need, or I don't need that much of a rehearsal time. Like you should have done the work beforehand and then you meet with the person, figure out the chemistry where you're going to go and then just. Are you one of those people? Do you you like um, literally feel out the set? Because I know some actors that do it. Like Like touch the set? like literally touch the set. And, oh. and even if they're not interacting with it, they just want to know the space. And a very famous kind of example of it was um, uh, uh, Dustin Hoffman in Kramer. Mm-hmm. Kramer. He, he, um, he picks up that, I, I believe it's a glass, and he just chucks it. But he wouldn't have known, because, and, and he doesn't look at it. And he, he's, not, he's not consciously thinking, like if right. you the scene, it's not like it's conscious um, of him like looking down of like, okay, I'm going to grab this. Like it was never in the script. But he's just in that moment, like, you know, let's say you're the wife and I, I'm Dustin Hoffman. Like, there's just such an anger that's being built up. And his hand just instinctually reaches for it and just smashes it. Um, but it's because, like, he, you know, he literally just yeah. the, the space. That's really fat. I've never done that. But I understand why. Just viscerally, like, touch things. I know, I mean, I did background work a lot when I first came out to L.A. as well, which was a really cool opportunity because you get to really see how I set like an actual big set works without being under the pressure, right? You get to kind of be a fly on the wall and just get to experience and see everything. Um, But I got to do background for Hunger Games, this small little film or whatever. But we did, (laughs) we did pickups for it. Which one, the first one? No, the last one. The last one, okay. The last one. So I did just pickups. So I'm like digitally animated in there like 50 million times, but you would never know it's me. Um, but it was the coolest experience because the amount of detail that they put into costuming, like for me, when you put into costume, you become, and like, even with music, you become that person and it just changes everything. So like even in acting class, sometimes if it was a specific scene, if you dress to the scene, not a lot of people did it, but every once in a while they would, um, it does give you a different, like you walk differently, you hold yourself differently just by dressing the part so i can understand why like touching this set would be something that would work for people yeah it's very cool um of course i can talk acting with you all day (laughs) but um uh we should also talk about your your hosting as well um where did that when did you kind of first was it just like an an idea that was plucked into your mind of like oh hosting could be a thing you like or did you like see somebody you know, on TV or wherever and, and was like, oh, you know what? I want to emulate that. Like, that seems fun. How did it come about? My degree is actually in broadcast journalism. Um, so oddly enough, I was going into UK and I was going to be a psych undergrad. I was going to do psychology. And then that was a trajectory. 
Um, and then my mom halfway before, like, I think it was a week or two weeks before she was like, why don't you do journalism? Like it combines you wanting to be in front of the camera and your desire to do that with the whole acting thing and everything. And you're also passionate about law, about politics at that point, which I'm not anymore. But at that point I was very driven by all of that. And so she was like, why don't you try journalism? Like, let's just go and, and get to know it. And I fell in love with it. And so, but there was a, a shift. I knew I wanted to do entertainment um, halfway through because I was like, I still love like the arts. The arts is never going to leave me. So how can I combine both of these? And so entertainment was the next route for me. And then there was a specific instance that was like devastating my senior year of college. And I remember sitting there watching the news and I called my mom and I was like, I cannot do hard news because there's going to be a day where I'm going to have to report on something this devastating. I don't know if I emotionally can handle it. And so I was like, I have to do something that's lighter and entertaining and will bring people joy. Um, And so that's how I like really stuck with entertainment journalism. And then hosting didn't really start picking up for me except for like the last two and a half, three years. Um, right when I started at AfterBuzz. And then I wanted to try hosting, I think two years, a year or two years into being in LA is when I started to like, okay, let's get back into this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very cool. Um, and and certainly now, like, uh, I'm, I'm, you know, kudos to you. Like I, I see hosting a lot of stuff, even in quarantine and, and a lot of like, um, you know, uh, whether it's like about the VMAs or like all these sort of events um, you're mm-hmm. kind of brought in. And um, I don't know, I'm trying, I'm, I'm trying to think of uh, what the, what the question would be there in terms of, mm-hmm. well, I, I guess let's start with a more simple one. How, uh, you know, whether in quarantine specifically or kind of even a little bit before quarantine, how has mm-hmm. the evolution of entertainment news um, evolved from your eyes? Because it's, you know, everyone that I talk to and certainly like, you know, as someone inside it, uh, there, it, it's constantly changing. I mean, the fact that mm-hmm. news itself, like, I mean, that was huge news when, when that announcement came. Mm-hmm. Um, so where, where do you see entertainment news now and like kind of how you fit into all that? Cause you're still yeah. you know, doing it. Yeah. Um, it's so weird because I mean, that was like the pinnacle, right? That's like what people watched when they were younger before they wanted to be entertainment news. It's like extra ET, E, all of those networks. And I think, I mean, it is evolving just in general because of social media, right? Like it used to be that entertainment news was the gatekeeper. It was either the paparazzis and you're reading the tabloids or entertainment news is where you found out what your celebrities were doing outside of just being on the screen or being on the stage or whatever that may be. And now everyone's opening their lives to everyone. Like they're getting to be the gatekeepers and we are no longer. Um, And I think the shift I'm seeing, I'm so happy about. I love the way that it's going because now we're actually like getting to strip away on some of the, um, I know the word, but I can't say it. Superfluous. Thank you. Of all the like um, little details that we don't really need. Right. Like, 
so-and-so wore yellow today, who cares? But now you're getting to have more in-depth conversations with these entertainers of their, their motivation behind their character or what they're doing um, as humans within the experience or, you know, storytelling in general, even in the arts of television and movies, the dialogue and the scripts and everything are just changing um, to reflect the times. And I think that there's more thought provoking things that are starting to come out, starting being the optimal word because it is shifting. Um, And I think it's giving entertainment journalists more of a dialogue as well of like, well, where can we carry the conversation to? And especially with my show that I've been doing with Candice Be Real, I was very like, I don't know if I want to do this. Like, I felt very comfortable on the, under the umbrella of like doing news hosting underneath someone of like a network or whatever. So this is my first time where I'm like, okay, we're going to stretch my legs and write it, produce it and, and do it all. And it may not be overly amazing, but I get to pick the stories and the dialogue and be the entertainment light, but also add some depth to it. So um, I am enjoying that there's more of that conversation that's coming into play with entertainment. Yeah. And okay. So I I just want to dive into that a little bit. What was, um, what was the fear um, for the show? Was it the fact that like, it was like the, you were worried about the production quality or how you might be judged for picking the topics? Like, I think both. Mm -hmm. I mean, the quality itself, like, listen, I need some graphics. I need some help with certain things. Like I can edit bare bones, but you know, it, it's not the level that I would like it to be. Um, you know, but that will come in general. I was just like, you know what, like, let's just throw spaghetti against the wall and see what works. But I think there was a little bit of like, you know, coming from pageant world of being like the prim proper, um, and even starting with after buzz, I started to slowly strip that away because I was like, okay, well then I just need to be who I am. Like, let me just be my weird, quirky, loud self. And if people like it, great. And if they don't, they'll change the channel. Who cares? Um, and once I took that away, And then I put out my first episode and I was, I think the quirkiest I've ever been of just like, I don't give a shit um, when I did it. And my mom called me and there is this girl that works with her at home. And she said, I had no idea that Candace was that funny. (laughs) And I think that that was the one comment that wasn't put on on social media. It wasn't anything. And, And the social media comments are great, of course. But I think that was the one comment that I was like, okay, like people like it and they're going to watch it. And if they don't, like I'm getting fulfillment from it regardless. Um, And I haven't been able to do as many episodes since just because life has picked up and other things have happened within that. But um, I definitely want to keep it going and come up with more episodes and just, you know, be who I am. And if someone likes it enough, then let's go. I mean, here's the, I look at it in this way, right? If, if I can offer up any words of encouragement. Like, yes, please. Uh, whether Come. it's Stephen Colbert, whether it's uh, Trevor Noah, like every, every host, uh, Ryan Seacrest, they're right. all in their homes. So I know. As far as production quality, there is Great no equalizer. There is yeah. no, <laughs> nothing. Exactly. So, you know, in that sense, like now, now's the perfect time. And, yeah. And to that effect too, like, you know, the other part of it, um, I talked to so many people as you know and 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 everyone everyone knows what they could be doing but Mm -hmm. it's you you gotta get there right and and i know like there's the old hollywood mentality of like no you've always got to put up the the most prim and proper product ever and it's like right yeah 
eh, doesn't quite nowadays like no. people, people are willing to go on the journey with you i mean mm-hmm. um i don't know if you like watch gary v but like you know his whole thing yes is, like, love him yeah. so his whole message for those unfamiliar is just like just just do it if if, if if you're too worried about the production quality it's because you don't believe in the message exactly no you actually introduced me to gary v and i now get his text messages all the time well how did i do that i'm curious i don't even <laughs> you know. literally messaged me one day I think it was at the beginning of the year and it was one of my failed attempts of like wanting to be more active on social media. And I don't know what exactly brought it about, but you literally came out of nowhere and you were like, you should follow Gary V and <laughs> listen to what he says. And I was like, okay. And I became obsessed with him. And now I get his text message alerts and it was so funny. I, I, uh, somehow met a new friend in quarantine um, just through like being online and social media and whatnot. And we were doing our social distance hangout and he was asking me a question and I gave an answer. He was like, do you listen to Gary V? I was like, I do. Why? He was like, cause you sound a lot like him, <laughs> like yeah. with whatever, whatever message I was talking about. So yeah. Yeah. I mean, li- listen, I, I, I think a couple of things there. Number one, um, his message, it's not like, in the end, it's not groundbreaking, right? He's literally right. repeating exactly. what people have said hundreds of years at mm-hmm. this point, not thousands. Um, but, and, and so in that sense, I, I, I give you, because listen, I throw out uh, all this stuff to all my friends and the amount of people that actually do it, which is like, I mean, Gary talks about this. Like he, he, right. he has like this very famous video of like, I'm giving away the playbook for free and you fuckers aren't executing. Yep. And so, it, you know, so I, I do want to take the opportunity, you know, commend you that you actually, you know, took that and yeah. ran with it. Because it's like, yeah, my biggest frustration. Now I've, I'm kind of learning to be at peace. That's that's my 2020 thing of like not yeah. pushing my friends. I'm like, if they're going to go for it, they're going to go for it. If not, exactly. then, you know, I've given them the advice, but I don't, I'm not going to micromanage them. Have you um, heard of Big Magic or Save the Cat? I've heard the Save the Cat, yes. So Big Magic actually talks about in one element, I need to reread the book, but she, um, she actually wrote Eat, Pray, Love. But um, I have the book. It's right here. Elizabeth Gilbert. Um, yeah. Yeah. And so she talks about like ideas, right? Like how do you go through life and someone comes up with an app and you were like, I just had that idea, but you didn't act on it. So she talks about ideas as being like, they're fleeting and they don't belong to us. The ideas belong to everybody and it only belongs to anyone who actually decides to act on it. So it talks about that. And then like in Save the Cat, it's talking about like when you're pitching your idea for a film and people are like, well, I don't want to share it with anyone. They're like, the odds of someone actually taking your idea and doing something with it are slim to none because most people don't actually take and run with the idea. Most people just kind of sit on it and they over ponder it and they overanalyze and then they just never do it. Yeah, no, a um, couple of things. Number one, uh, in case you haven't listened to it, Elizabeth Gilbert and Tim Ferriss' interview. Fantastic. No, okay, I will listen to that. Um, fantastic, fantastic interview. And they talk a lot about this. Um, and the second aspect, like I, I'm, I'm a huge proponent of that. I mean, I have a whole like, I've done multiple episodes of like, just, just stop like hoarding your idea. It's not that mm-hmm. special. Because right. first off, it's even like- It's, it's riddled, true. It's riddled with cliche, right? Like, uh-huh. oh- Candace, I have this idea. We're going to, um, it's about people and they're going to be stealing stuff and they're going to, you know, but, it, but it's ultra cool and super trippy. It's like, yeah, I could name 50 movies that did that. Exactly. Everything is recycled through different lenses, but it, it, at this point, 
there's not a lot of like, I don't want to say not unique, but it, it, it is. We're all just continually innovating and building upon what other people have built upon. That, um, well, hold, hold that. Remind me if I, <laughs> yeah. but um, this is getting deep. No, it is. And I, I, I love it. Covers, um, but, but hold that. Cause I, there, there's a prelude to it that, that I want to make sure I get out. Um, no, this idea, I, I always look at it from the sense of like, number one, even if let's say you stole my idea, right? Mm-hmm. The way you're going to execute it, if you do, mm-hmm. is going to be vastly mm-hmm. different than me. Exactly. I, exactly. I think you, look, how many times has the Jungle Book been remade? And it's like, each one of those is Our different musical, one's, you know, this. And by the way, the original like book, Jungle Book, is nothing like any of the movies. It's a series of like short stories, essentially. Right. So it's just, it's just crazy. Um, so there's that aspect of it. And where is it? What, what was I? See, I knew I would forget. That's why I told you to hold. Oh, oh, here, here's the idea, right? Um, yes. No. Um, and th- this is like so insider baseball. No, and, and I don't think anyone's going to really like apologies to you, the, the, the watcher listening right now. But I, one, of, one of the things that I'm working on in my movie and, you know, it's not, it's not just a specific thing, but I think, I think they're like great art, right? The true definition of great art mm-hmm. are people who are able to, you know, like there, there's great works that take a cliche idea and kind of extend it. And it's like, okay, mm-hmm. I see the cliche, but it's still a good thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's people like true art. They just find a door, this metaphorical door that no one else saw and they open it. Mm-hmm. And, um, I'm not saying like I'm actually going to be able to do that with my movie. But what I am saying is that's the question I'm exploring is how does an artist just, well, what does it take to literally find that magical door? That's just like, holy shit. I didn't know words could do this. If you're writing a book or a poem or whatever, you, you know what I mean? Like just something that's just so different. And it's like, where did this come from? That's uh, the gift of art though, too. Like the selfish gift of like, when you have that aha or that like high, of finding something i mean it's just like nothing uh, no other yeah and it, it's kind of um i guess he, he might as well kind of end here just just for yeah. uh, time's sake but i'm very curious because there, there's a lot of people of like let's say let's say you wrote catcher in the rye mm-hmm. and then your next book wasn't as good well they'll be like oh your second book sucked well there's a lot of people like yeah but i also wrote like the great american novel so right you know, most people don't ever accomplish that in their life. Exactly. So I, kinda, so. I, I already did it. We're good. We're yeah. fine. <laughs> um, do, do you believe in that? Like, you know, like, it's like, hey, if you, if you already accomplished, like, I guess I'm trying to figure out the right way to frame the question. But like, of course, there's the process that you challenge yourself as an artist, mm-hmm. even if like on your first go ahead, you know, it's, it's the world's greatest thing um, that you create. Um, but to that effect, it's like, even if you don't put out anything good after that, it's like, well, you already did it. You already accomplished it. I think that, and I think always reminding yourself that like to get off the plateau, like, right. You don't want to ever keep yourself stagnant and just be like, and sometimes there like certain things you can end while you're on and up, but there's also the opportunity to pivot and to like have different adventures. So I don't ever think that all of it's ever going to be a fail. Sometimes you're going to have a flop. Sometimes a movie is not going to be the best, but that doesn't mean that your third movie isn't going to be amazing. I think you just have to like perpetually keep pushing yourself and you may have had the great American novel and then you come down here and then maybe you come right back up. So I think you just have to keep going and hope that um, 
you know, our life isn't like just a straight line that we're going to have ebbs and flows and that you're going to have to keep going. Like in my life specifically, I look at like all the different lives I've lived, even in, you know, my 20 something years um, of, but I'm still not done. Like I've just got, there's so much more. So like, yes, I've hit the pinnacle of one thing, but like the next thing wasn't as good, but I still have to keep pushing to get back up to that level of success that I want to. Yeah. And maybe this brings it full circle in that sense. Cause like it's, you know, 2020 is teaching you that it's not as much about the achievements. It's about being right for yourself. And mm-hmm. so in this sense, maybe it is about the process more so than the achievements. It's like, you know what, um, if there's, your second third book movie music whatever else Mm -hmm. didn't accomplish what the first did just keep keep at that process go back to what worked um and maybe you'll get it maybe you won't but at the end of the day you gotta be you'll find something new yeah you'll find something new and you'll be good with you Mm -hmm. exactly um well thank you candace this this was a lot of fun for those interested uh at candace cruz that's c r u z in terms yes. of how to spell cruise, not uh, not the uh, like Carnival Cruise style. No, 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 no. It's like Penelope. I like to say it's not Tom. It's Penelope. There you go. Uh, but I it's love that. Can- Candace R. Cruz. So C A N D I C E, the letter R, and then C R U C. Sorry, forgot the R. Forgot That's the all R. good. A lot of people do because it's like that little bitty like. <laughs> and um, is there anything uh, you, you anything besides that you want to plug? Obviously, you mentioned um, you know your show that you're doing, um, but anything else? Yeah, I've been working with NBCLX. So um, I just did the VMA coverage. I'm about to post that on Instagram today. And then um, I do a 90-second entertainment top stories um, every Friday that comes out on NBCLX. So you can watch online. And then they're also in um, multiple cities nationwide that you can watch it on TV. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. And uh, you. for those, uh, for you listening, watching, by all means, please write your comments. Uh, if you have a question, share it. You know, we, uh, I certainly love to keep the conversation going. And, yes, please. Uh, and I'm, I'm sure Candace does too. So yes. thank you. And see you. Thanks. Bye.